0: This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week we head into the media zone. We'll debate indigenous radio in Guatemala. It's a story of pirate signals and cultural identity. And also free speech. How Threatened Is It in Latin America? But first, Megan Eckhamel joins us. She has our weekly review of news from around the region.
1: Brazil's President Dilma Rousseff condemned the United States at the United Nations this week. In her speech, Rousseff criticized the U.S. for its espionage programs in Brazil, and she called for international legislation to prevent future spying and acts of war. What we have before us, Mr. President, is a serious case of violation of human rights and civil liberties, a case of invasion and capture of confidential secret information pertaining to business activities. We must establish multilateral mechanisms for the World Wide Web. Rousseff indefinitely postponed Brazil's state visit to the White House last week in the wake of the spy scandal. Relations between the two countries have chilled. Experts say Brazil may turn its diplomatic attention to China, its new leading trade partner. We'll have more on the fallout from the spy scandal in a commentary later in this program. Venezuela's international flights are booked for months, but the popularity has nothing to do with cheap fares. Actually, the price of airline tickets into and out of Venezuela can be quite high instead the popularity has to do with currency controls and a loophole in Venezuelan laws. The current government is holding the line on the exchange rate of the bolivar, trading officially at about 6 bolivars to the dollar. But the black market rate soars to more than 40 bolivars to the dollar. The key loophole, anyone buying an airline ticket can exchange up to $3,000 worth of bolivars at the official rate, trading into dollars at a bargain rate. Savvy Venezuelan travelers then quickly turn those dollars around on the black market. The result is that even a pricey ticket can be paid for with the profits in this money exchange. Paraguay's new president, Horacio Cartes calls for taxes. Cortes plans to target big business owners for tax evasion, a crime that takes about half of the country's revenue every year. He also plans to publish the reports, giving the public easy access, and holding the government accountable to its citizens. This change comes with a host of others that the Paraguayan president is planning to implement for the country's social and economic improvement. For Latin Pulse, I'm Megan Eckhamel.
0: Thanks, Megan. This week, John Dingus of Columbia University rejoins us on the program. Dingus is part of a new initiative to find alternatives to fight the wave of government pressure against free media in Latin America. Here are excerpts from our conversation.
2: I was a reporter in Latin America at the time when repression and state terrorism were the rule of the day. Uh, the press during, and I'm talking about the the mid '70s, early '80s. Uh, the press, the media, in those. But you've
0: p- continued to work in that zone for for many years after that. zone yes, that time right.
2: period. And the the media were were cowed, uh, under control of the military governments or collaborating directly with the military governments. Uh, it, I always say, and when I give talks about this, it was fairly easy to be a journalist in the uh, 1980s. Uh, you just had to uh, go to press conferences and tell, say what people said. The only press conferences that existed were the ones that the government authorized. Uh, the idea of doing any analysis or investigation uh, was not something you could do in the mainstream media. There certainly was investigations being carried out gradually more and more by small publications, Uh, I'm talking about uh, Chile and Argentina, particularly, where you had some really great investigations of the past crimes of their own governments who were still in power. And that was permitted, not on TV, not in the major newspapers, but in small circulation uh, publications.
0: Do you want to name a few of those?
2: Well, OPSI, I was actually involved in uh, the publication, the, the creation of OPSI, a, uh, a first a biweekly on international affairs, in Chile, and then a, a weekly uh, became a kind of you know typical newsweekly format. Uh, lasted until 1994. Analysis, analysis, um, 14 Mapocho, uh, and uh, I'm forgetting one, uh, Oi magazine. So these were these were the this is where the best journalism uh, was being done.
0: Are these all Chilean?
2: These are all Chilean, and and I'm not as versed on the Argentines. And and there was Opinion, um, La Opinion, uh, the newspaper, which was a very important newspaper, but has to be said, when the coup happened in 1976, that newspaper supported the coup. Uh, The editor ran into problems with the military, was actually imprisoned. That's uh, Jacobo Timmerman. Uh, but uh, at the time, that newspaper went along with it, and that was pretty typical of of argentina you didn 't have any real dissident media um, in Argentina unlike Chile but of course, by thousand nine hundred and eighty three the military was gone, and the press was free anyway. The point is that the that the uh, the press had a very mixed record of fighting for uh, the values of democracy, but basically people. In these countries in Latin America gave the press fairly high marks because as the transition uh, away from the military was occurring the press uh, either these small militant magazines and I don't mean militant in a political sense I mean that they were brave journalists uh, or to a certain extent some of the mainstream media uh, began to push more and more for for democratic opening and so people in general gave the press credit for uh, defending democratic rights. Uh, So with the now we have democracies in all countries of Latin America, uh, formal democracies, in some cases very active and, and effective democracies, but constitutional government all over with of course the exception of Cuba. You would think that this would be the heyday of freedom of expression and freedom of the media. Uh, In many countries, the opposite is true. You have bigger conflicts between the media and the governments than you have had in generations. Uh, Lots of reasons for this, uh, but focusing, I I, I try in my investigation, I'm going to be very critical of the role of the media, uh, the quality of the journalism that they have been doing. But of course, if you have Bad journalism, you still should be able to be free to do your journalism. So the focus has to be on the governments. And we're talking about Venezuela, Ecuador, Bolivia, Argentina, to a certain extent. And then, of course, in Central America, several countries have have conflicts as well, Nicaragua in particular, all with the same approach, which is that the press, the, the mainstream legacy media, were guilty in the past <clears throat> of going along with the right-wing governments, in many cases the, the, the dictatorial governments. And in the present, they continue to be allied with economic interests that are against the interests of the people. And they're making this argument, the idea that, that, that we would espouse, that, well, it really doesn't matter who owns your newspaper as long as there's a wall between the editorial side and the business side. Forget about it. They don't buy that argument for one minute, uh, the liberal concept of the press as a check against corruption in government—they don't buy that either. They consider to the the press to be functioning as an instrument of economic interests. They consider the press to have taken over the role of the opposition, and therefore the press is to be treated as any other part of the political opposition, uh, to be treated not with protections, but aggressively.
0: And, uh, and given the ownership structures and the history that you've mentioned of the media in in some of these countries, are, are the governments wrong to think that way?
2: Well, that's the problem that we have as journalists, because we have to defend the abstract freedom of expression, even when the press is wrong, even when the press is ill-intentioned, even when the press lies. Which, of course, we hope is the exception and not the rule. Um, in other words, the freedom of expression is not just for correct expression; it's for errors as well. So we have to defend that. But the government is.
0: But we hope that that supposedly in the media, one of our top ethical foundations is the idea of seeking truth. In seeking truth, you may make mistakes, but you're you are seeking. The correction of exactly.
2: That, and that would be the approach of the Inter-American Press Association, which pretty much represents the best of Latin American journalism, the values of, of journalism as uh, the pursuit of truth, the pursuit of facts, and independence uh, in the pursuit of truth. Even though everybody accepts that that uh, newspapers and and media have the role of being the the voice of certain political tendencies, that's that's fine as long as in the pursuit of truth they're they're independent and they let journalists pursue the facts and pursue the truth.
0: And, and many people criticize the Ayappa for coming from a particular economic set of of judgments too. That they tend to represent the elite of many of these countries.
2: And of course, that's this argument by the Inter-American Press Association is being countered by that argument. And it is true that they represent, it it is a very, it's a circular argument because, of course, they represent, they are formed by the owners of the most important media newspapers in Latin America. So far, everybody is keeping within uh, the basic rules of respect of basic human rights uh, in terms of physical protections of journalists, the ability of, of newspapers to maintain their property and to distribute their their media independently. So it's very different. It's not to be confused with the, the bad old days of the dictatorships, but it's a very serious questioning and probably a real threat to uh, freedom of expression in Latin America.
0: Going forward, what can people in the media do to to make people more aware of this right that we have, this, this this right for free speech, that most people take for granted?
2: I think there has to be an open dialogue uh, in which uh, the stakeholders sit down at a table and talk about democracy, talk about the role of the press in democracy, uh, talk about the trade-offs between the recognized rights of these institutions as enshrined in the uh, Inter-American conventions uh, and the m- mounting jurisprudence about the media that we have in Latin America, and put it out there in a honest, hopefully a, a competitive but an honest dialogue, because the idea that this is a zero-sum game, that if these governments uh, that these governments uh, are going to proceed until they control all the media is probably not correct. The idea that, the, that is, is expressed sometimes by media leaders that the only way to return to full freedom of the press is to return to, is to get rid of these governments. That's kind of a golpista, a, a, a undemocratic approach to this. It was tried in Venezuela, didn't work. Uh, that's not gonna work. So neither side is gonna prevail in this. And I think there is a, enough devotion to the ideals of democracy on the part of the governments and on the part of the media, that there is some common ground to have this discussion. And that's one of the things I'm working with the Carter Center uh, in trying to set up some of this kind of dialogues as part of the project.
0: We'll see if you're successful. Thank you, Professor John Dingus of Columbia University in New York City, our guest today on
2: Latin Pulse. Thank you. Good to be here. A
1: man is found guilty of trafficking Brazilian women to the U.K. to make them work as prostitutes. The head of an international trafficking network is jailed in Romania, and three people are sent to prison in America for operating a Mexican baby smuggling ring.
3: Human traffickers trick and deceive their victims, but by joining forces we can bring these criminals to justice. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking,
0: ungift.org. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. This week we delve into the debate over radio airwaves in Guatemala. Earlier this year, Guatemala's indigenous communities appealed to the Inter-American Court on Human Rights, asking for international intervention. The reason? Although Guatemala's peace accords call for space for indigenous voices in the media, the government has never set aside radio airwaves to meet the provisions of those accords, a peace agreement that is 18 years old now. Mark Camp of the nonprofit group Cultural Survival joined us from his office in Boston via Skype. To discuss the issue, here are excerpts from our interview.
3: The guarantee to communities that they could own and control their own community media was included in the peace accords. And was it was included because indigenous communities saw and understood just how important uh, having open access and control over the local airwaves was uh... to inform community members about uh... uh, news and uh... their rights but also as a way of uh, preserving and maintaining the vibrant indigenous cultures Especially indigenous language uh, that that you you find in Guatemala, and the commercial radio stations, which are the the the, the dominant uh, presence on on the airwaves, by and large broadcast in Spanish, and by and large are broadcasting from cities and are presenting a urban non-indigenous view of uh of events of the news and of culture. So this was uh, really an important piece of the uh peace accords from the point of view of indigenous communities. Now you'd think that because it was guaranteed in the peace accords that The Guatemalan telecommunications law would reflect the peace accords and make provision for the granting of broadcast licenses to nonprofit indigenous community radio stations. But unfortunately, the telecommunications law only allows for commercial radio and government radio. Uh, while also uh, making provision for uh, hobby radio, you know CB radio and ham radio, and that sort of thing. but but there's no way for a indigenous community to obtain a broadcast license uh, for a nonprofit community radio station. unless they are uh, willing and able to compete. In the commercial market to purchase a frequency. Now, these radio stations in in many indigenous communities, understanding that the peace accords have granted them the right to community radio, have gone ahead and set up small, community-run, all volunteer radio stations, and many are operating currently as we speak. They're 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 on the air, they're using indigenous languages, they're exercising their right to do so. Uh and most of them are very small operations with a few thousand listeners and budgets of four or five hundred US dollars per month. The idea that one of these small-scale radio stations can compete to buy a commercial license for hundreds of thousands of dollars is ridiculous. Uh, And the uh, Guatemalan uh, uh, Congress has been considering changes to the telecommunications law that would allow – uh, a special category of nonprofit community radio but this uh this law has yet to make much progress in the Guatemalan congress so community radio operators have had to resort to the court system which has led them to the organization of american states and the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights and perhaps eventually the Inter-American Court of Human Rights. Where does this case stand now? In order to take a case to the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights, first uh, one of the re- one of the requirements is that you exhaust the domestic remedies. So that means that you have to go through the local court system uh in Guatemala and take it to the the highest court possible in Guatemala, which uh which we did. Um and, and there there were a, a series of local court cases which eventually evolved into a Case in the Guatemalan Constitutional Court, which is the highest court in the land. And our argument in the Guatemalan Constitutional Court was that the current telecommunications law is unconstitutional under the Guatemalan Constitution because it uh, discriminates against indigenous communities uh, by not providing a reasonable way for indigenous communities to exercise their constitutionally guaranteed right to freedom of expression by getting access to a radio frequency because the only way for them to get a frequency was in the open market and because of the economic disparity between indigenous communities and uh, wealthy business interests in Guatemala, it it excludes them de facto. That was the argument that we made before the uh, Constitutional Court of Guatemala. Now, the, the, the Constitutional Court of Guatemala, uh, in its wisdom, uh, made a very interesting and at face value, seemingly contradictory decision. They rejected our argument and said that, no, the, the telecommunications law of Guatemala is, is not unconstitutional. It, it doesn't discriminate against indigenous communities. But at the same time, in, in, the, in their official decision, they exhorted and that's, that's the word that they use. So a pretty strong word, not suggested or encouraged, but exhorted the Congress of Guatemala to change that very same telecommunications law to provide a new category of radio licenses for indigenous community radio. So some lawyers look at that and read it as a rejection of our case, and other lawyers look at it and read it as a court order to the Guatemalan uh, Congress to pass a law authorizing the assigning of frequencies to indigenous community radio stations the government will order uh, a sweep to close down unlicensed radio stations and because the government is unwilling to differentiate between real community radio stations that are exercising their right and all of the other unlicensed radio stations that are um uh, really taking advantage of 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 the lack of clarity in the law, the community radio stations get caught up in these same sweeps. Ironically, the uh, proposed bill that the community radio movement has uh, pending in the Guatemalan Congress would would solve this problem by clearly defining the difference between a real community radio station that allows access uh... on a on a non-profit basis to all viewpoints of the community that clearly differentiates that kind of real community radio station from these these other kinds of radio principally religious radio and unlicensed for-profit radio and would install a regulatory system that could solve both the concern of the commercial radio stations that are worried about interferences from quote-unquote pirate radio stations, but also provide licenses to the real uh, uh, community radio stations.
0: Thank you so much, Mark Camp of Cultural Survival. Our guest today on Latin Pulse. And now, Latin American Perspectives with Peter Hakem of the
4: Inter-American Dialogue. Angered by the United States' spying in Brazil, President Dilma Rousseff canceled a planned trip to Washington next month, where she was scheduled to receive the full honors of a state visit. President Obama has so far extended those honors to the leaders of only seven other nations, all world powers or close allies. The U.S. is clearly snooping where it shouldn't be. What is the U.S. learning from Dilma's private communications with her advisors? What is gained from breaking into the emails of Brazil's largest company? Is this essential to the war against terrorism? Why endanger the U.S. relationship with Latin America's largest and most powerful country? Is the information worth the acrimony and distrust its collection has generated? Instead of offering a stream of fumbling responses to Dilma's questions about the spying, why hasn't the Obama White House apologized? Why hasn't it just said, no more? U.S. government officials tend to respond by suggesting that Brazil has made a mountain out of a molehill and should recognize that U.S. security requires expansive surveillance and that Washington means Brazilians no harm or offense. Brazilians tend to think that the U.S. is actually gaining valuable information from their intercepts of presidential messages. My interpretation is the U.S. surveillance apparatus is a giant vacuum cleaner. It sweeps up tons of information. It can't be targeted. Getting the occasional valuable tidbit means collecting oceans of junk. Brazil and the U.S. have many critical differences in perspective and disagree on many specific issues. Collaboration between the two countries is not common. But they have been remarkably successful in managing their disagreements, keeping their clashes within bounds, and maintaining outwardly friendly relations. President Rousseff's visit would probably not have moved Brazil and the U.S. toward greater cooperation or partnership. Its symbolic value, however, would have helped to replenish their reserve of goodwill. That would have been reason enough for their visit. The opportunity, however, has been lost and the reserve is diminished. The best course for both countries now is to avoid recriminations and bring down the temperature. The US and Brazil need to use their remaining goodwill to resolve the dispute over surveillance and then to find another date for the visit. But it would multiply the value of the visit if the White House assured Brazil that the U.S. will do everything it can to stop indiscriminate snooping.
0: Peter Hakem's opinions are his own and not the official opinions of this program. If you'd like to respond to his Latin American Perspectives commentary or any part of this program, you may contact us, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx. Dot com. Latin Pulse is available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and MusicaQ. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org, forward slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse For our entire team, associate producer Megan Ackhamel and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. nos otra vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University's School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bathtime Music Publishing. This program is copyright
1: 2013, Las Rocas Productions.